Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. Folks, I'm really excited for today's guest. I have been a fangirl. I'm not a fangirl of a lot of people, but Anand Giridadas is definitely one of them. And I would say if you're not following him on Twitter, you should. But I know many of you deleted your Twitter accounts, as I'm about to. But he wrote an incredibly poignant and thoughtful book called The Persuaders at the Front Lines of the Fight for Hearts, Minds, and Democracy. And in it, he interviews a past Woke AF guest, Anat Asario Schenker, who we did a two-part show with to discuss messaging, right? And why Democrats continue to get messaging wrong. And in Anant's book, he really gets to the core of the core of why we need as Democrats to be persuaders and to not be above this idea that we need to convince people. And in order to convince people to do anything, you actually need to understand people. You need to go where the people are instead of thinking that the people are going to come where you are. And for too long, the Democratic Party, the Democratic establishment has been immovable. Right? With the same voices, the same people in the same place talking about the same shit in the same way. Now, at the time of this recording, we have no idea what the outcome of the election is. But regardless of the election and its results, Anand provides such clear focus of where we need to go, why we need to continue to have hope, and that the work begins the day after election day and every single day following. 
And so folks, I hope not only that you go out and buy this book and buy it, you know, for yourselves, buy it as this holiday season begins to start, buy it for everybody that you know, right? Because we all need to get on the same page to be a part of the movement for freedom, right? And what does that mean? It means about learning people, understanding them, developing and flexing your emotional intelligence so that we can meet people where they are instead of thinking that they are going to come to us. So coming up next, dear friends, my in-depth conversation with Anan Giridharas, the author of The Persuaders at the front lines of the fight for hearts, minds, and democracy. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF, I believe for the very first time, although we did have a meeting at one time when people still went into green rooms at MSNBC. I am welcoming to Woke AF Daily for the very first time, Anand Giridharas, the author of The Persuaders at the front lines of the fight for hearts, minds, and democracy, and also uh, the author of another book, which I think was also brilliant, Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Um, I'm super excited to talk to you. As am I. I remember meeting you in the green room at MSNBC. Um, this is pre-COVID, so at least 67 years ago. Yeah. Um, and My hair was black. It, you know, I want to say to you, it was. <laughs> it was it was largely black. Um, a lot's happened since then. Yeah. Um, and you have been and continue to be an absolute force um, on Twitter, just speaking truth to power about our democracy. And so I, I want to jump in with the, the first question, you know, with regard to persuaders is, look, for me, 43 million people were persuaded to believe Donald Trump, Trumpism, and his lies. 75 million people voted for him. 33% of the country still believes that the election in 2020 was stolen. What is it that you believe that the far right is able to persuade, use lies, disinformation in order to persuade their base to agree with some of the most cruel, oppressive, and disgusting policies that I think that we've ever seen in this country versus the Democrats' inability to really to persuade anybody except to continue to have infighting in a way that we have seen has damaged our ability to really spread our message in the way that it needs to be. Yeah, I love that question because you're getting at a very crucial truth, which is that on the Democratic side, the political left generally, you often hear this thing that like people's minds can't be changed, people can't be persuaded, you know, and the right loves it when we say this because mm -hmm. they believe in persuasion, as mm -hmm. you just very eloquently laid out. The right believes that people's minds can be moved. Did, did anybody know what QAnon was 10 years ago? No, because it didn't exist. 43 million Americans have been persuaded into an entirely new belief system called QAnon you know, mm. in the time that my hair has turned gray. Um, you know, Donald Trump took the Republican Party from a free trade platform to an anti-trade platform, uh, from, you know, a kind of 
like business first thing to a kind of like white nationalist first orientation in its rhetoric and messaging and strategy. Like the right believes you can move people. You can mm -hmm. summon people to a new different set of ideas. And I think we on the left often are just like, you know, this kind of like French philosopher cigarette <laughs> shrug pose of just like, ugh, they'll never change their minds and they'll never change their ways. And it is empirically false. Yep. Empirically false. Uh, witness for EG the remarkable revolution attitudes to gay and lesbian people in our lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. in, in your and my lifetime, like, Barack Obama was not for gay marriage when he yep. ran for president, right? Yep. <laughs> like the sea change that we have lived through on that issue and many other issues in our time on the status of women, how women see themselves, how men see themselves and men see women. Like we're not there on any of these things. We're not there yet to answer the kids in the backseat, but we are, people change all the time, right? And often I think on the political left, we've in, in our sadness and despair at what's gone on, we've gone too far in making this bogus claim that people are unchangeable um, while the right is all up in the grill of changing people. And second, it's just a self-defeating attitude in addition to being false that, that basically concedes that democracy isn't a thing that can work. I mean, if you don't believe mm -hmm. that you can go into the arena and say certain things, frame certain things, offer certain material benefits to people, policies for people, and move them, then like, what are you engaged in democracy for? And I think often what I perceive is that many of us on the political left who are making claims about the impossibility of persuasion are actually just narrating our own impotence. We're not talking mm. like, we think we're making a claim about these other people who can't be one, but what we're really telling you is that we ain't that good at doing it. And if you're not that great right. at doing it, step aside for people who are, because there are amazing organizers, activists, cognitive scientists, others I studied for this book who know how to persuade, who know how to move minds, who know how to do the kind of base building work for the long haul to build deeper long-term support for multiracial democracy. And I think we need uh, kind of wholesale changes of, of leadership in uh, communication on the democratic side, uh, on organizing, on any number of things, on certainly the fundraising emails. Um, we need the movement to be led by people who know how to change minds, who are willing to do the work and who are showing success at doing so. There are those people, and I wrote the book to try to highlight them and, and elevate them and uplift them in the hope that they will be the dominant forces and voices uh, on the kind of pro-democracy, pro-freedom side. Do you think, I mean, I you know, I can unpack so much in, in, in the answer that you just provided. And, you know, Anat, who, who you gave uh, a, a chapter to, she did a, a two-part uh, episode on, on, on Woke AF as well as Democracy-ish. Um, How come I only I, get a one part? <laughs> we don't know yet. It could go for two. We could go for two. Um, but, you know, she gave such, I mean, it was like nothing was earth shattering. And I'm like, why do they make it seem so hard? What you're offering makes sense, right? But do we believe, like, are we too good? And that this is kind of what I'm distilling from what you said. Are Democrats too good to believe in persuasion? Yes. Like, do, do they is, just want people yes. to be born 
with the with the ideas of what is right in their head like they believe that if i persuade you then somehow i'm out here doing the devil's work as opposed so to in, just I, doing I the think work you're again like in your trademark way you're hitting on like the very deep <laughs> cores of this thing so there's a couple very deep cores of this that you're absolutely right about um i think one is I had this interesting conversation about my book with Noam Chomsky a few weeks ago, um, right before the book came out. And he said, he said, you know, I had an interesting relationship, I'm paraphrasing, he's like, I had an interesting relationship to your book because I want all the people in your book to win. <laughs> and like, they're the people I think should win. But he's like, when you frame it as persuasion, he's like, for him, Noam Chomsky, he's he's thinking of like advertising and propaganda and like, PR. He's thinking of all the things that basically he hates and thinks undermine mm-hmm. uh, progress and undergird like capital, you know, manic kind of hyper capitalism. And so I think his book, my book was like complicated for him because he was like, wait, should Bernie Sanders be like telling more personal stories and, and building a more human, you know, appeal? Or is that like the Coca Cola-ization of Bernie Sanders? Now, I. Mm. So, so, so I think that's one thing. I think on the left, there's an, a, an aversion to a certain kind of persuasion that reads to people as like madmen or, 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 yep. or like, you know, uh, I personally say, I think that's misguided. Like, I think it matters whether you're selling Coca-Cola or Bernie Sanders. And I, like, I, I think if Bernie Sanders, if the advice, you know, for, for example, that I would give is that Bernie Sanders should tell a lot more people that a crappy healthcare system killed his mom when he was 18 or 19 years old. And no mm. one knows that. And it's his signature domestic issue. And my mom didn't love Bernie Sanders in the 2016 or 2020 runs, but I can tell you she would have related a lot to Bernie Sanders telling you he spent the next 50 something years of his life avenging his mother's death by trying to make healthcare Mm. available for everybody. My mom might've listened to that part, right? Even if she didn't like the policy. If that's, you know, if that's cheap, like, I don't, I don't want to be not cheap. You know, that to me is, you know, is politics. And so I think part of the, the, the interesting, like beautiful conversation I have with Chomsky about this gets at this notion of, you know, are Democrats and the left more generally like too high-minded in their view of yes. who people are? Yep. You know, just like who we are, like how do, do, do we have a good grounded sense of how people are actually forming opinions? And I think, if you have an excessively high-minded view, you think of it as a cerebral process. People are, you know, you, Danielle, are like finishing this podcast and you're going to sit on that couch, picking up some of those books on the shelf and, and you're formulating your view on, on, you know, policies and then you're going to like vote, you know, you already voted obviously from your sticker. Yeah. And I just don't think that's, I don't think that's how it is for me and you. And we yeah. are highly educated, like mm-hmm. engaged people politically, it is definitely not how 90% of people who are maybe less engaged politically than us form opinions. Like one of the people in the book says to me, political opinion formation is primarily an emotional process. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Anat would agree with that. I think I agree with that. You, you sound like you agree with that. I don't think the establishment of the Democratic Party believes that. And if they did, they're either engaging in like woeful malpractice or they just, you know, uh, have no idea what they're doing. If you start to say, okay, let me not start with like policies or bullet point plans or whatever. Let me start with like, what are people like? 
what is going on with people? What in general, how, how do people form opinions? Also, what's going on with people now? What are people afraid of now, right? And then let me let me try to like back my policies into where people are now. Yes. Right? Human center, like anyone selling anything, like people, people don't take this Diet Coke. And again, like this is going to that like commercial place, which is I think what freaks some people out on the left. But like people are not like, you know, like this tastes like caramel mixed with it. People are like, what do people want? People want to like have fun with their friends. People want to feel young again. People, right? And then they somehow like hook Diet Coke into Your a shrewd understanding yes. of like what you want, where you are. Yeah. And wh wh where you want to go. Now, if I were to take Medicare for all, I don't think it's cheap or tacky to say, don't just say healthcare is a human right. That That's like centering the thing. It's not centering you, right? Like, Here's a here's a different way to talk about Medicare for all, which is you and me and, you know, half the people in this country have a business idea that is like kicking around our head or that we like bend our friends ears about at the bar. Right. And for like, I would say. 90 percent of Americans I've ever talked to have had a business idea, there is number one reason they can't go pursue it is they can't leave their current employer-based healthcare right. to go to the business idea. If you have kids or you have a spouse, yep. you'd literally be like jeopardizing your child. 90% of Americans would have to jeopardize their child's life to start a business idea, okay? So is that capitalism? Is that called capitalism when you can't, 90% of business ideas just are never activated? because you'd be endangering your child's life to quit your job and do the business idea, even if you have a plan and a potential investors. Um, so what would it look like to advocate for Medicare for all, starting with that kind of understanding of that aspiration that so many millions of Americans have? You might, you might be able to tap into all kinds of people who are not drawn to a healthcare as a human right argument or a moral frame or, who don't know what Medicare is and not sure why you want to now make it for all. But, you know, you might call it freedom care. You might explain how it ties into the real lived desire for liberation that people have without you having to explain it to them. Um, and so that's just one example, I think, of what it would look like for the Democratic Party and, and the left generally to have a kind of user-centered politics. Start with who people are, what's going on with them, yeah. and, and proceed from there. I 100% agree. And I have often said that I believe that Democrats think that people are better than they are. And I believe that Republicans actually know who people are, Correct. right? Which is that people are easily persuadable. If you give them the same talking point over and over again, from Fox to QAnon to Newsmax to wherever that they'll go, it becomes that, that, that earworm. Right. And then all of a sudden it's now popping up in all of their social media feeds because our phones and our computers and everything listens to everything that we're doing. So everything becomes reinforced. And it's this idea that we think that people have more time and are better than they are. Right. That Democrats are just like, no, 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 we're going to take the high road. I had a great issue. I love Michelle Obama. I think that Michelle Obama is literally the salt of the earth. But when she said that when they go low, we go high, I said, no. No, because you can't fight a sewer game on horseback. 
right? Like you have to actually be down in the mud. And yeah. so I think that Democrats do believe that they are better than, and they want people to, and that's where the elitist attitude comes from, that the right places on top of us is that, oh, you're just elitist. And it's just like, no, I fundamentally know that I'm a better person than somebody who believes that gay people, Muslims, you know, trans people and what have you don't deserve space and place in, in this universe. Like, I definitely know I'm better than those people. <laughs> but if I'm actually trying to get them to recognize, to your point, that, yeah, I shouldn't have to be tied to my job like some indentured servant because I need health insurance. Like if this country is built on everyone pulling themselves up from their bootstraps, then shouldn't I be able to become the next egomaniac billionaire? Right. Like shouldn't shouldn't that right be afforded to me? So I, I wonder, like. What do you so think? Can I just pause you on that? Yeah, that was please. such a great, like, what you just said, right? What if, like, why haven't we reframed the current healthcare system as indentured servitude? Right? That's exactly, like, you just came up with that, yes. like, talking, right? They spend millions of dollars doing market research. <laughs> They've never come up with that. You know, like maybe they could hire you. But like that's exactly and, and so what what you when you when you said that, suddenly the issue in my mind, I just like felt my own brain go like, oh, it's not like I'm trying to like sell people on some crazy new healthcare idea. Like our current thing's indentured servitude. Are you are you for that? Or who's for indentured servitude healthcare? Right? It's just reflipping it. Re like and and the fact that we hear so little of that ever done, those kind of reframings, whereas the right is doing that every damn day with partial birth abortion and death mm. tax. And mm. they're just right. Death panels like and it's it's literally the case that our healthcare system creates indentured servitude. Yes. And we have never been able to frame it in those kinds of ways. I mean, when you say to me. I can't I have a great idea. I have a great aspiration. And I can't leave my job and go ahead and forge this idea of the American dream because I'm shackled to a job. What else would you call that? Correct. And I would have loved, and once you open that, then by the way, like Bernie had a problem in communities of color in particular, right? And and with older voters. And mm -hmm. you know, they, there was a that he had he was pushing up against certain limits in the coalition, right? Could you imagine? And, and th these, by the way, the most marginalized communities are the communities where the aspiration to build a business is strong because you may not be able to get that job at that big company that is still discriminatory or whatever. But the idea of creating your own thing is a is a big aspiration. By the way, I think it's why Republicans are winning a bunch of black and Hispanic men, because there's a language of aspiration and commercial mm -hmm. like, you know, that they feel put off by the Democratic Party. That's a whole other conversation. Imagine if Bernie had done events in communities of color, asking everybody to come up and share their business idea, like fucking Bernie Shark Tank. Come up and share your business idea, but also talk about your current healthcare thing, situation. Talk mm. about how you actually can't do that. And then Bernie would like explain to you how you could like, right? Like, I think a lot of, you know, some of the more diehard socialist elements in his campaign have been like, why would you do an event around people's business aspirations, right? But just like that to me is the kind of politics that I'm interested in. The optics and the substance of Bernie Sanders sitting with a bunch of like black and Hispanic and Asian American entrepreneurs with dreams saying, we're the party of aspiration also. We want you to go from your one store to five stores in Queens or whatever. Mm -hmm. And here's why 
having healthcare for all is going to make that happen for you, right? It just imagine the amount of reframe there. Imagine the additional scope of people who might be interested with that kind of pitch. And I think you can go issue by issue and think about persuasion in that way. And it's funny because for me, I will tell you that the the tagline, blah, 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 for all, is problematic. And why do I think that is problematic? Because white America works from a scarcity model. <laughs> it is not an abundant place. America does not have enough for you over there that I don't know and I don't like. I don't like how you pray. I don't like how you love. I don't like how you look. So all of a sudden, when you start talking about blah, blah, blah for all, what they hear is that I have to give something up. I have to give something up in order for all to be able to have it. And it's so easy mm. for the right to reframe. And so when you just look at these things and you say, okay, well, instead of it being for all, even though that's what we want, that's our, that's our value as Democrats, but how I'm going to frame it is about freedom. How I'm going to frame it is about what you are owed because of the work that you have put in and you make it about them instead of everybody. Correct. That's the problem that Democrats, I believe, have is that they want they want to believe that people have this, you know, lofty idea of wanting to be empaths and give to everyone around them, which I'm like, what the Republicans have proved is that, yeah, capitalism and inflation and all of these things have made us greedy as fuck. Right. So like there isn't more than enough. Obama was the last one that had us believe that, oh, my God. The wealth of this nation can provide for all. And we believed him because the messenger was that, you know, uh, just just com combat combative to to that rhetoric on the right. And I wonder, like, is it the two on top of having the right messenger and the right message? Is it wrong for us on the left to continue chasing certain candidates and personalities rather than what the right has done, which is like, no, you all just need to get on board with white supremacy because then you'll remain on top, right? Like they're not just chasing a person. Now they're chasing like this broader idea. Well, I actually think, <clears throat> I was thinking about this today when I voted and I'm fascinated in particular by, you know, by the time people listen to this, like they'll know the results, but there's this dead heat for the governorship of New York that should not I exist. I know. And the thing is like, tell me if my assumption here is wrong. Like, I don't think you or I know a single person who feels anything in their heart for the current democratic governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, or, or like, mm -hmm. like a young person in this state who feels motivated about her or anything. And then you have this like improbable thing of a Republican doing surprisingly well. But is it that improbable if you don't even like this is New York State. This is the most interesting collection of human beings ever assembled under the sun anywhere on planet Earth. Like the greatest collection you, like you and I live here because like, like there's no lack of interesting people who are smart, politically engaged. Mm -hmm. So, so, so we considered everyone and Kathy Hochul is someone who excites nobody mm -hmm. is our idea of someone who should be the number one 
the chief executive of this state with the greatest collection of people in human history. Um, well, I don't know why we're surprised when we lose. We're not trying to excite people. We're not trying to inspire people. We're not trying to build a movement. I mean, like it, it is it is playing with fire when you're fighting fascism. So like, think of the gall to knowingly run people who literally make no one feel anything. <laughs> what is your assessment of the situation? Mm-mm. The right, again, like the right understands feelings. The, as you said, the right understands people as they are, right? So like, is your assessment really that it does not matter that the gubernatorial candidate on the Democratic side for New York, it, is, is the view of the Democratic Party that it doesn't matter that she makes no one feel anything? Mm. Is, is that their assessment? Like, I would love for someone to put that in writing. I'd be, I would marvel at that. If that is your assessment, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't understand politics. It, it seems quite daring to base an entire candidacy on the view that it doesn't matter if people feel like anything for a candidate. It doesn't matter if she has any kind of movement or not. It doesn't matter if like no one I have seen in New York City has worn any of her merch. It doesn't matter. None of these things matter, apparently. They, they, yeah. they clearly don't matter. Just all that matters is like just telling your voters that shit's dangerous. Please give them $5 and, and vote for the people they're telling you to. I mean, it is such a, as you said, just unrealistic view of people mm-hmm. that it's not to me bad political strategy. Like, I think we're, what we're, you and I are talking about is like actually really core and I, we don't talk about enough, which is like prior to politics. Like, I think we're dealing with a bunch of people in the Democratic Party establishment leadership and around it that like are not that smart about people. Yeah. Not great EQ, just not like no. really good at spreadsheets, right? Like really good yes. at and data analysis. You see it on TV. Like, these are wonky they people, love it. right? Yeah. Just like, but there's just like other people in all of our lives who are just like really smart about people. They just like get people. I'm not sure those people are in charge right now. They don't seem to be. You know what? It's funny because I'm so glad that you brought up emotional intelligence and EQ because I I have to tell you that this is the thing that has been completely and totally absent. That's it. Is that Republicans for as horrible as they are, have their finger on the pulse of their people. They know how to move them. They know how to sway them. They know how to make them angry. They know how to make them sad. They know how to make them cheer at the very idea of violence, right? They cheered for a hammer going into the head of a 82 year old man, right? 10 years ago, five years ago, those people would look at themselves and they would say, not in this country, right? Because we hold up other nations and say, oh, that's what they do. And so here they are cheering about the very idea of violence because the Republicans have their finger on the pulse. And I think, again, Democrats are more concerned with focus groups and polls rather than the people behind them, rather than really going where the people are. I was told the other day that I needed to, like a couple of months ago, Danielle, you should be on TikTok. And I said, I don't want to do dumb dances. I get on Twitter and I get on Instagram and I rage against the machine. How does that how does that work with TikTok? And they're like, because that's where the people are. 
If you, if your goal is to change people, to shift people, to move them, then you have to go where they are. And so I think that it's, it's, it's interesting to me that Democrats stay put, essentially. Democrats stay put and think that the people are going to come to them. So like with the final minutes that we have, just, you know, because your book is also hopeful, right? And we are at a time that it is in a loss for hope. I tell people all the time, I am ye of little faith, but clearly I do because I have multiple fucking podcasts trying to wake people up. If I didn't have faith, then I would just shut the fuck up. So what is it that gives you hope? And what do you believe that people should be holding on to? Again, by the time that they listen to this, we'll know the results. But should the results in and of themselves matter? What should move people? Whether tonight, Tuesday of election day is a blowout for Democrats, a mediocre result, a surprising, you know, surprisingly good night for Democrats, regardless of that outcome, an enormous project of rebuilding begins Wednesday morning. It has to. And there's no scenario tonight that would, you know, that would not necessitate a major project of rebuilding. Here's the bottom line for me. Amid a fascist upswell in this country, we do not currently possess a pro-freedom, pro-democracy movement capable of burying it and beating it durably and consistently. We have a movement that can like eke out 5149 victories sometimes and lose, you know, minor victories other times or big, vic- uh, you know, lose uh, big contests um, other times. But we don't have a pro-democracy movement that can consistently win in a way that is going to keep you and me and our, you know, like communities safe uh, or anyone, frankly, safe. So we need to build that. We need to build a new and improved freedom movement in this country of the likes of which we've never seen. I mean, I, I don't, I, I think that the task right now, the organizing challenge right now is immense. And here's what gives me hope. I think what we sometimes fail to do is properly tell the story of why this is happening and the trajectory, right? That to me, these, I, I wanna be very clear, Trumpism, Ron DeSantis, the, this whole movement that is increasingly a fascistic right-wing movement, they live in my world and your world. You and I don't live in their world. You and I are not reactionaries to their brilliant, interesting ideas for the future. You and I are living in a future that is quite different from what this country was 30, 50, 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. You and I are living in it and through our voices trying to push it even further in the direction that it's been going in. Mm-hmm. And they're living in reaction to us. They are reactionaries to us. And I think it's very important to just distinguish between whether you and I are living in their world or they're living in ours. And, and one test of this is you and I would still be advocating for the things we believe in, whether or not they existed. Yeah. If Donald Trump disappeared, there's no, you and I would still be, I mean, the kind of healthcare policies you would want I think would be the same as what you want right now. The kind of schools you'd want would I think be the same as what the schools you want right now. The kind of foreign policy, right? Could you say the same about them? Their entire agenda Mm. is to stop people like you and me from being, you know, full citizens of this country. It's to stop. It's, 
It is purely parasitic, their agenda, their cause, on the thing we are trying to do. There is no them without us, but there is an us without a them. That is what it means to be a reactionary. So they are, as I always say, they're barnacles on uh-huh. our progress. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they can't exist without the progress that has been happening. And so let's actually take a moment because they know about the progress we've been making. That's how they exist. We often don't talk about the progress we've made. Yep. It is really different to be any number of groups in this country than it was 50 or 100 years ago, right? We get caught up in the moment to moment and all the unfinished business. We don't pat ourselves on the back for real shifts we have made, mm-hmm. right? Like my children are, are, are in a world of children where the levels of awareness of the different experiences of being a human being, the different types of people in their midst that need to be seen and recognized and treated properly, it puts all of our ancestors to shame. I mean, we mm. treated all of our ancestors, lovely as they may have been, treated a vast swath of the human species terribly for all kinds of reasons. Ah, too bad you're a woman, you're of the darker persuasion, you're yep. trans, you're yep. right. If you, if you add it all up, we weren't good to most people, right? Like we're not there yet, but it's really different now than it was before. You go to campuses, I'm sure you have this experience, like the way these young people just like intuitively live in an egalitarian world, the way they think about their roles and their relations, it's just really, really different than anything else in the history of the world. Like we're doing a lot, we've done a lot, we've built a lot of progress. And there's something in progressives that makes us I think unwilling to just like say that out loud because the orientation is toward all that's not done. And the, the psyche is about like losing in some ways. And like, it's worth saying, like we've changed a ton, a ton of stuff. We have redefined um, the way we live in so many ways. And this progress has inspired as it did after reconstruction as it has so many times in American history, it's inspired a backlash. It's inspired these barnacles and like, we got to deal with it. And after reconstruction, it was a long, long, long period of backlash. Those backlashes can be years. They can be decades. They can be short. They can be long. That's what's at stake now. There's no question to me that this is a backlash and that we will beat it the way we beat the same type of people being, you know, against the abolition of slavery and against labor reform and against the new deal and against integration and against gay rights. Like, they, they lose every time in the end. The question is how long does their backlash get to be and how influential does it get to be and how painful does it get to be for everyone? And I think I have hope because I know what we're trying to do. And I'm very focused on the, in a way, awesome project of trying to build a multiracial democracy that is the cause of a lot of our pain right now. It, we, we are in pain because we're trying to, these are birth pangs. We are trying yeah. to do a yep. great thing. And we we so seldom remind ourselves that we're trying to do a great thing, that we depress ourselves. So I would say the hope comes from the noble goal, the awesome goal, the worthy goal, and then remembering that these small-hearted, cynical people have always lost in the long run, and they will lose again, and freedom will win again. And if we want it to happen fast, we better buck up, shake off the despair, and change our ways. You are a delight. And I am (laughs) so absolutely grateful for the time 
that you have spent on Woke AF today, Anon, and just what you are putting out into the world, into the universe. Um, and, and I really hope, folks, that you are listening to this and that it holds you and you create space for it because this is the journey that we're on. Um, and Anon, I, I just, I appreciate you so very much. Folks, the book is The Persuaders at the Front Lines of the Fight for Hearts, Minds, and Our Democracy. Get it now. Get it as a gift. It is the time of Thanksgiving and holidays and all of that jazz. Get it for people and get it for yourselves. I hope that you come back again. Anon. I will come back anytime. You. I want to, I want to do a three-part series to beat <laughs> Anat's, Anat's record. <laughs> yes. I love that. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.